Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Do you have it together, Taylor? Is your technology working? Are we gonna have more uh-huh. technical difficulties this week like we did last week? I won't do it because I will refuse to put out another PSA where I have to take responsibility for my own actions. <laughs> she has to take res- the consequences of your actions. <sighs> to be fair, it was an accident last week, but this week it we should be good. It says everything it's supposed to say. So, uh, yes, if you're back again, welcome. Welcome. Glad to see you back. Can't see you, but glad we, to I hope can you're just, back. I can just sense that you're there i can smell you smell like uh, beef it smells like a five-star review on apple podcast <laughs> exactly what it smells like uh, which um, you should you should give us a five-star review on apple podcast because we'll give you a koozie if you send us a screenshot yeah. of your of your review and if you're curious what you're reviewing it would be this podcast it would which be is called you, that's good to be specific you can't just I'm review you know, the local Moe's it, Southwest Grill in your hometown. I don't care if no. they forgot the queso. That's not really relevant to us. <laughs> Although, speak your truth. Yes. And so this podcast is uh, called This Is Gonna Sound Weird. And I'm Taylor. And I am Sydney. And each week we host a, well, obviously we host this podcast. But each week we go over a... <laughs> A different theme about all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. Taylor, what's our theme this week? Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, it's a surprise theme. It is, yes. yes. Um, we like to go a little off book every now and then. We've already done a surprise episode in the past, yeah. so, you know, if you're interested in that, go on, revisit it. This is Surprise Me yeah. Again. You know, me and Taylor, we've had... You know, what, five years of friendship? We just want to see, is the spark still there? Uh-huh. Is there still a little bit of surprise? A little bit of mystique? Probably not. Probably not. Um, yes. So, we're, we're keeping it spicy. You know, you always you always got to keep spicy. <laughs> um, I, today, right before this podcast started, I saw that Tiger King has new episodes out. And I was like, well, what could they be about? So I started watching one as I was eating dinner. And it's like kind of about the aftermath of the whole phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it's going to be. But if anybody else is watching it, just know I'm also watching it. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not watching it. I'm finally watching um, the newest season of You because I share a Netflix account. Um, and by share, I mean I mooch off of Taylor's. So I had to wait <laughs> for my old roommate to finish watching you. Now I'll watch it. And then if Taylor wants to watch it, she'll watch it after me. That's the succession. I, so I actually was like, you know what? I'll watch it. I, I've watched the other seasons and I liked them. So I started watching it and I have come to the realization. I don't know what's happened to me recently. I cannot watch scripted television. I cannot. I cannot watch anything scripted. Wow. I don't know why. I have to watch documentaries or like reality TV. I actually watched something really good the other day. Um, It's called Born Behind Bars. It's about this prison program. I think it was in Indiana. If that's the wrong state, I do apologize. But anyways, if you're like pregnant in prison, you know, usually if you're pregnant in prison, you have to have your baby and then literally they get taken away from you. Like, 
48, 72 hours later. Mm-hmm. Well, in this program, you get to keep your baby with you. Ooh. And now it's very specific on the people who get into it. Like, you can't be a violent offender, all this stuff. But they get to keep their babies with them. And it was very interesting. And it's on Hulu if anybody is wanting to look into it. I would recommend. That is very interesting. Um, I feel like I've heard of that. But I didn't. I don't think I realized that you could actually raise your baby in prison. Mm-hmm. And I think they don't like to keep them there for, like, you have to have, like, you know, a certain amount of time left on your sentence, too. Because they don't want to keep the babies there really, they don't really want them there when they actually start remembering, remembering things, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, those pivotal, like, six months where I feel like bonding with a baby is uh-huh. very crucial. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at the beginning of, like, every episode, it's, like, social studies show that bonding with your baby, like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yes, very interesting. It was a little sad at times because one mom had twins. They were really premature. And if they have, like, really bad like health issues when they're born, like, they can't keep them. So she had the babies and then thought she was going to be able to keep them. Then they had to take them away from her. So it's very sad. That is very sad. Now, I, on the other hand... Um... Do not have the illness that you have. And I do watch scripted television. (laughs) Um, Now, granted, I have an issue where I typically just rewatch the same ones, i.e. Sex and the City. You know, I'm already Mm -hmm. made it through to season three of that in my binge watching. So, you know, I'll update you. What happens? Is it any different than it has been in the past 20 years? I doubt it. But I'm going to enjoy it nonetheless. Hey, if you love Sex and the City... Throw it, throw it on the gram. Slide in our DMs. Let me know. Are you a Miranda? Yep. A Carrie? A Charlotte? I'm gonna go off on a limb and say I've that I think it. I think Taylor is a Charlotte. Hmm. My only real uh, thing I know about Sex in the City was from an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race I watched where they did a satire about Sex in the City. I also did watch the. You know, like the prequel to Carrie's life. You know what I'm talking about? That's no, I can't get behind it. I, I didn't even waste. I watched time that, on that in like college or something because I'd never watched Sex in the City and I didn't even realize that's what it was supposed to be. I just started watching it and then I realized and I was like, oh, okay. No, yeah, I can't get behind that. I didn't watch it. I was like, what's the point? No, nothing. This is gonna have nothing to do with anything. I'm just gonna be yeah. honest. It was kind of cute though. I probably wouldn't watch it now, but if you're in high school or college. And you just want a little some, what it's kind of like a bubblegum show. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You can watch, you watch it. It's an easy, it's an easy watch from what I remember. Yeah. Well, but, it's uh, just like how this... this podcast is easy to listen to. Mm-hmm. And that's why you should give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We're really pushing it. We're really pushing it, people. <laughs> um, that's how we get out there on the, uh, you know, algorithms or whatever. Because I don't know how they work, but I know that somehow... Apple, the people at Apple, all them apples that work in the Apple factory, absolutely pushing buttons with their, you know, stems and leaves and whatnot. Granny uh, Smith we is out here push... just tip tapping <laughs> away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go first this week, correct? Correct. So now my story this week, actually, I so you know, as I said. I only watch non-scripted TV, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, which a lot of times makes it hard for me to find something to watch. But I found these little like series, kind of on. It was like A and E, and it was like a. It was. It would be like a, blah blah blah, the untold story, 
And so I was watching like all those. And then I watched one and it was called uh, The Secret Life of a Gang Girl, The Untold Story. So I was watching it. It was pretty good. And then I like looked up like an update on the case. And I was like, oh, I got to do I got to do this one. So I was inspired by my TV watching to do this. So I'm doing mine on uh, Jakira Barnes. And these are my sources. The Sun.UK. Nope. Already messed up. Why don't you just go ahead and cancel me? Why don't you? All right, I will. <laughs> She's canceled. Uh, She's canceled. Oh, oh my god. I'll I be looking for a new words. a new co-host who is not canceled. Apply for within. Okay. Okay. Well, today I'll I'll finish out my reign. Uh, so the sun.co.uk. It was an article by Dan Hall. The source.com. An article by Myra B. Urbanislands.com, an article by Dev Citaram, and like I said, The Secret Life uh, of a Gang Girl, The Untold Story on A&E, and it was like kind of hosted by, or I don't know if you would say investigated, by Elizabeth Vargas, who I'm sure you've seen on other shows doing like interview type things. Mm-hmm. So, Jakira Barnes was born on the south side of Chicago in 1997. She was born in an area that was largely filled with gang violence, and the area was called Woodlawn. She was born into this area, and there were two rival gangs that operated extremely close to one another. So one gang was basically in control of just like an area of a few street blocks, and then the other gang was in control of another area very close by of the same kind of like size, just a few street blocks. And they were actually only, like, the blocks that they were, like, over were only separated by a two-lane road called Martin Luther King Drive. And so if you look at it, it's literally, like, kind of one's down here and one's right here. And it's literally just, like, you walk across the street and then but it's, like, this huge tension. Mm-hmm. And actually during the documentary, it was interesting because apparently this area, I mean, it's just... It's not a good area to grow up in, obviously, because of all this violence. But it said that when Michelle Obama was a little girl, she actually lived in this area. Um, so that was interesting. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. So the names of the gangs that were in this area, one was the Black Disciples and the other was the Gangster Disciples. And Jakira was born in the section where the Gangster Disciples controlled like the neighborhood. And when she was just one years old, her father was shot and killed by a rival gang. So pretty much from her birth, she was surrounded by violence, which so is everyone else in the area. But even though Jakira was born in this setting filled with danger and violence, as a young girl, she was a promising student. And she even attended a math and science institute, which I'm like, you go, girl. I could never. I could never. No, I could not. Math and science? No. Which is also, it's also surprising to me Mm. because growing up in that area, I assume that like, obviously the schools probably aren't fantastic, Um, but they probably, you know, saw something in her and they were like, we want to go get you out of here and get you into like a good school. Well, also I think about like, what time, when was this? What year? She was born in 97. So she's like my age, like a year older. Okay. And so I feel like that's pretty progressive for them to have, like, be like, hey, you little girl, we're going to put you in math Mm -hmm. and science. Because I feel like that's just now becoming a thing now. Like, I don't feel like they were, like, 
when we were young, there were that many, like, math and science programs for young girls. No. As you know, middle school, they moved me up. Because they, in sixth grade, I guess they were trying to be progressive. And they were like, hey, little girl. They moved me and this other girl up to, you know, a higher math class because they thought we were super smart. They were wrong. They were so wrong. Bad idea. But it was funny because the guys who thought they were smarter in our class would come up to us and they'd be like, we were the ones that should have been moved ahead. And I was like, well, it was me, bitch. And now I'm really confused and I want to cry. But I'm here. I know about the Pythagorean theorem, bitch. Do you? (laughs) So, Jakaira, she's you know, very smart, and in her early teen years, her friend said that she had a really big heart for children, and that she was even thinking about wanting to go and, like, maybe be a social worker or something like that when she grew up. She was really committed to school, but until it was until she reached the eighth grade, and around this time is when she kind of started, you know, getting around in the wrong crowd, and she started getting involved into the Gangster Disciples Gang. And also around this time when she was just 13 and she was kind of new to the gang life, one of her fellow gang members named Shondell Gregory, he was also, uh, like, I guess his nickname was Tuca, he was shot and killed by the rival gang in 2011. So following Tuca's murder is really when everything changed for Jakaira because when he died, the rival gang took to the internet in what on the like documentary they were calling as cyber banging, which is basically when it's called cy- cyber banging. That sounds like yes, computer sex. Well, it's not. Um, and I'll share an example of cyber banging with you right now so you can kind of see what it is. All so right. basically, in this case, Tuca, he had passed away, and the rival gang started posting photos of him on the internet mocking the fact that he had died. In one of the photos, they went so far as they literally photoshopped a roll of toilet paper and other items Onto a photo of Tuca literally lying dead in his casket. What the fuck? So there was like there was some words around. You can you can find it on the internet. It's very it's very easy to find. Um, and they just kind of they literally put like shitty clip art, but being obviously extremely disrespectful to a person, a young boy like who had been murdered. So it's basically where the cyber bang is where they go online and basically just taunt each other. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know why they call like it that. Cy- like I mean, cyber bullying. But is it yeah, always specifically I mean, when someone dies? No. And I'll kind of get into that like later, how they kind of use the internet. Um, but this incident really turned Jakaira's grief of losing her friend into just rage. She was like, you know, I can't believe they've done this to my friend. So the rivalry between the gangs significantly increased after this. And Lee Caldwell, who worked on Chicago's gang safety team, said that this image uh, of Tuca, it began the con- it began the serious conflict. So like before that, they were obviously killing each other which is awful because they had conflict but now like a serious conflict was at play and so later that year a 20 year old named od perry was shot and killed and he was the person who was suspected to have killed tuca so he was the rival gang member that they thought killed tuca 
And so following both of these deaths, a full-on gang war broke out, and both gangs renamed their, like, territories. The gangster disciples renamed their territory to Tukaville, after Tuka, and the black disciples renamed theirs to Oblock, after O.D. Okay. And, like, I mean, think about it. You literally... when you, you can look up, like, a picture online, which I can post it, of how close these areas were to one another. It's, like, it's crazy that they were completely different worlds. Yeah, it was, like, I don't know, 20 feet apart. I don't know how long a road is. A two-lane road. I don't know how <laughs> wide that is. <laughs> I don't know how wide that is. I don't know. A two-lane road? I Not mean, very. Maybe, maybe 100 feet. 100 feet. Yeah. Just think um, about how many subway footlongs you think we'd have to stretch across the street. I'm going to go with 20. 25. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll believe you. I'll believe you. Um, thank, thank you. So, <laughs> yes. Now, like I said, the OD who they thought had killed Tuka, he had been shot. And that it was believed that Jakaira was actually the one who shot OD. And she, at this point, she's literally like a 14-year-old. Um, but she was never actually charged with the crime. But even though there was no charge, Jakaira gained a huge reputation as a shooter, which apparently in a gang is a big deal when you're known as, like, the one who goes out and kills people, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was especially a big deal because she was a girl and she was so young. Like, it's something that's not, like, typical in a gang. And people thought it was, like, cool. Um, So... After this, you know, Jakaira, she was gaining more street cred, and she blew up online, and she was on Twitter, and it said she had almost 5,000 followers on Twitter, which in the early days of Twitter was, like, a pretty large number. I mean, even today, like, for somebody like me, that would be a pretty big number for Twitter, but apparently back then, they said, they said some, like, statistic that made me be like, oh my god, that's a lot, but just trust me, she was, she was pretty famous on Twitter. And on her Twitter, though, she mostly just showed off her gangster lifestyle, and she started to appear in these drill rap music videos. Basically, these videos, I think, were also, like, a form of the gang, or the cyber banging. And so, Mm -hmm. a gang would put out a video, and it would basically be taunting the other gang. And Jakaira started being featured in these videos, and she would be dancing with guns and hands full of money. And around this time, she also started going by the name K.I. And this name first appeared in a video uh, from the Flyboy Gang, and the song is called Murda, which is, you know, M-U-R-D-A. I'm sorry if I sound just like a basic white girl trying to say some of these things, but like, you, you know... Mm -hmm. So, in this song, she specifically gets referenced as K.I. in the line, K.I. my young killer. And she can be seen in the video wearing a bandana covering her face and pointing a gun toward the camera. So, she's getting a reputation as a killer, basically, Mm -hmm. in this gang. And so, the goal of these videos, like I said, was to taunt the rival gangs and... these videos, they would taunt the gangs, but they would incite violence because once a gang saw the video and they were being taunted, they would mm-hmm. literally drive across the street and open fire and kill people from the rival gang. And oh so, you know, it was just a back and forth cycle. 
And at this time, the gang scene respected Jakira because she was a girl, she was so young, and people were kind of just like fascinated with her and enamored with her. And one guy that was really enamored with her was kind of unexpected because he was actually a member of the rival gang. So he was apparently also very active in the drill rap scene. He would put out a lot of videos and his name was King Vaughn. And at the time during the documentary, they said he was kind of famous because he was in the rap scene, but also because he had beaten a homicide charge. So he really liked Jakira and he said she was cool as hell. Uh, he would tweet at her and say that they should date and uh, he wanted to have sex with her. And in the documentary, they were like, um, they asked him, they were like, you know, you were being pretty forward. And then he said something. He was just like, yeah, I guess I did do that and kind of laughed. So, uh, you know yeah, what? he was just romance your lady. Tweet at her. Tell her you want to have sex with her. You know, don't play hard to get. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. And so they even would talk to each other on the phone. You know, they weren't just tweeting at each other from afar. Like they were actually talking but he would often say stuff to her like, you know, you're too pretty for all this gang banging and you just, you should quit that and basically be my girlfriend. But Jakira, she just really didn't understand why he was into her so much. And she literally was like, I think he's just trying to set me up to kill me because she really was just like, what could he even like about me? Which I don't know if she actually thought like, oh, he's going to try to kill me or if it was more just like, you know what's to like about me I like because I don't think she probably saw herself as like a girly girl who was like gonna date somebody and if you look at her I mean she kind of she dresses like all the other like guys in the gang it doesn't seem like she's out here trying to get a boy and look all cute you know yeah. do whatever like well and it's also I feel like it would be difficult you have somebody like who is literally your rival telling you like oh you should stop all this you know you, you're gonna have a bit of distrust well why do you want me to stop you know what I mean yeah and also like people knew she was a you know she was a shooter in the gang too so it wasn't just like she was some random like nobody so it was like why are you paying me attention but you know they was kind of flirting they like to flirt uh we all like to flirt gang members or not I don't flirt no more though only with my fiance <laughs> all right <laughs> I never, let's be honest I never flirted to begin with I was horrible at it um I would have to agree um uh, not specifically about you but about myself I'm also terrible at flirting um sometimes it just comes off like me just roasting the shit out of them and I'm like whoa yeah Maybe I would I just be really far. mean you know what I feel like Jakira because when I was that age if a boy tried to flirt with me I would just get mean I would just, because I would just be like, don't bother me. Why are you, why are you talking to me? Mm -hmm. Boys irritated me. So, what, you know what? what? I what get you, it. I yeah, get it. Like, like, you did this for what? You tweeted at me for what? And for what? You telling people on the internet you're trying to have sex with me? In public? Absolutely not. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um, but, you know, she didn't really have time for all of this flirting. Because when Jakira was... You know, it was still around the same age. She's about 14. She saw a close family friend, a 13-year-old named Taekwon Tyler, get shot right in front of her when he came to visit her. So they were leaving a party with a group of other people and several men started firing into the crowd and Taekwon got shot in the chest. He was taken to a children's hospital and died a few hours later. 
Now, it's assumed that he was not the target of the shooting, but that didn't matter because Jakira was heartbroken. And according to one of her friends in the documentary, she literally said she cried all night long. And then when she was done crying, her friend said she just got silent. And it kind of just seemed like, you know, there was like a switch that kind of went off. And so, following this, she changed her Twitter handle to Taekwon Assassin in memory of him. And she tweeted this, quote, Taekwon's supposed to be here with me, but instead, Lil Bro ended up six feet under a million miles away. And so, there was, like, a professor on the documentary who would kind of, like, go into these tweets. And a lot of them, he would be like, you know... It may not be what a typical person would be like, oh, this is somebody grieving, but he would be like, these things are like clearly grieving and like, then he can tell like after the grieving process, like a few days later, they'll turn to like anger and rage on the internet. So this one was a clear, which this one was pretty clear. She was grieving the loss of her uh, young friend. And so following this incident, people in Jakira's life continued to die which obviously seems like a pattern at this point. And she would continue to share her grief on the internet. And one of these posts that showed her anger, like post-grief, was on April 10th, 2014. And she tweeted, I done seen too many of my blanks die in a casket. End to end, we die. And die is in all caps. So like at this point, it's like grieving, but you can tell it's like she's getting angry. And so, the day after this tweet went out, so on April 11th, Jakira was walking with some friends to another friend's house in the neighborhood when a man with a hood walked up to her on the street. This man shot Jakira and her friends, and Jakira had gotten shot a total of nine times, and the man left her to bleed to death on the sidewalk, and he made a run for it. But Jakira managed to crawl to a home nearby and make it up onto the porch, but she ended up losing consciousness on the porch stairs. So she was taken to a hospital, and just two hours after she had been shot, she passed away at just the age of 17. Now, obviously, this is a tragic death. Um, all these deaths are tragic, though, because, you know, she's rumored to have killed people. It's kind of, it's like one of those things when you have, like, a true crime story, it's often, like, it can be pretty black and white. Like, he is the killer. He is bad. This is the victim. This is this. But mm-hmm. here, almost everybody's victims and almost everybody are perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And also, almost all of them are children. Which, when you think about, like, gang violence and all this, I feel like a lot of people don't consider the fact that a lot of times these people are literally kids. Mm-hmm. Like, kids watching other kids get murdered constantly. I couldn't imagine, obviously. Um... But while it was incredibly sad that Chikaira had been shot and killed, it obviously wasn't a surprise, really, to anyone because she had such a huge reputation as a shooter in her gang. And people even referred to her as an assassin. And because she was a girl, I feel like she was probably even a bigger target, you know, because of this whole huge reputation she had. And within just hours of her death, it was already being mocked by rival gang members on the internet. But one rival gang member who was not mocking her death was Keen Vaughn. He said that it was just weird having her die. He said, imagine one day, you know, you're DMing and talking to somebody and the next day they're just gone. He said, like, damn, who am I going to talk to now? Which, like, when you watch, like, when you say that, it's like, okay. But also, I feel like 
they the way he was saying it seemed like he was genuinely like oh you know I'm really sad that my friend's gone or whatever even though it doesn't really sound like he was grieving um Mm -hmm. just by what he actually said but you get you get what I'm saying also, it's he, even weird that he cared at all because he was a rival gang member. The other gang members were literally mocking her. Um, and so following her death, some of the academics in Chicago, like professors, were studying the cycle of gang violence. Like, especially how they were using the internet that led to a death like such as hers. So Professor Desmond Patton, he had greatly studied gang violence in the area and he was specifically looking at how they used the internet. And he found that expressions of grief and loss often came right before a more aggressive and threatening tweet. And he said if you could catch these, like, gang members in between those two spots, that you might could prevent some violence. Because he would say, like, he was, like, showing emojis. And the Elizabeth Vargas, he was, like, which I guess she was saying it just to be... I don't, just like an interview, an interviewer type thing, but obviously he was like, so when they're feeling aggressive and are about to act out, they'll put a, because obviously on Apple, like now you can't, there's no real gun emoji, it's a water gun. So they'll put Mm -hmm. a water gun and then like a dude running away from the water gun. She was like, so that means they want to kill somebody? He was like, yeah. And I was like, girl, what else would that mean? Yeah. But anyways, I just thought that was, I was like, nothing gets past her. Wow. But. So, following Jakira's death, the Chicago Police Department started an investigation to obviously figure out what happened. However, for years, they were unable to find the perpetrator, which I'm sure a lot of, obviously, the murders in this area probably went unsolved just because there were so many. People were saying, this guy did it. And it was literally just like, you go up to somebody, you shoot them, and you go away. It's not like some sort of, you know, crazy serial killer. But in July of this year, 2021... The police named the person that shot Jakira. Oh. The police named King Vaughn as Jakira's killer. What? Yes. Now, this is why I decided to do this. Because I was watching the show and I just looked up the case. Because I was like, I wonder if they ever, like, are they going to figure out who did it? And I was like, what? You've got to be shitting me. So, witnesses she that was day right. had reported. Uh Uh-huh, I know. She knew. She knew. And in the documentary, he was just, like, chilling. They were, like, interviewing him, like, just sitting on some steps, chilling. And I was like, what? So, witnesses reported that an unknown man wearing a gray hoodie and blue jeans had approached the victims the day of Jakira's death and that he had produced a handgun and began firing in the direction of the victims and struck all three of them. The offender was then seen leaving the scene in an unknown vehicle. The police say that the investigation did reveal that Jakira was killed by Davon Bennett, which is King Vaughn's government name. Mm-hmm. However, even though police named him as the offender, they stated that there wasn't enough evidence for them to meet their burden of proof to charge him with the crime. And so it had to be dropped. And so, I was kind of confused by this because they were like, they named him as the killer, but they weren't able to prove it. And so, I'm thinking it may have just been some, like, technical difficulty, like, you know, technical thing as to why they couldn't, like, get the charge to stick. Mm -hmm. But, unfortunately, we may never know exactly what happened because King Vaughn himself was killed. 
He was shot outside of a nightclub in Atlanta, Georgia in the fall of 2020, and this was following a dispute with a rival rapper. And so, to this day, Jakira has a reputation in the gang scene because she was so young and she was obviously a girl in the scene, which was just not, Professor Patton said, she just almost didn't seem real. He said, quote, there was this devilish, monstrous little girl who was going around killing people. And this is just not the narrative that people are used to hearing. And the good, th- well, not the good thing, but one silver lining is that in the area that Jakira grew up in, there are actually people and groups who are actively working to intervene in the lives of gang members before violence erupts. There's one group in a school, like in the area, and they would, they would, they're like scour the internet and look for these tweets about grief. And then like the next day at school, they'll kind of go up to them and, and just be like, you know, if you need somebody, like I'm here. Because on this, you know, Outside level, these are just children who are trying to like grieve. Um, so, and that was that was my last point. These are children, and so the only way you know you can really stop this cycle is kind of trying to get in front of it. But honestly, this documentary just made me be like, there's so much to it, and it's just I don't even know how you would be able to go about like, you know, getting it to stop. But uh, I felt I found this very interesting of a story. I'm usually I've never really looked into like a gang like story like this before because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times there's not. It's literally just people are dying. But this one was so interesting because she was just like not the norm of what you would think. But anyways, that was the story of Jakira Barnes. Yeah, I found that to be very interesting. I've actually, obviously, I've never heard it. When you, you told me that you were doing something in Chicago, and I was thinking, oh, true crime, like, she's going to do, like, Devil in the White City or something. (laughs) This was was an interesting change of pace, and also very topical, very recent. But, uh, like you said, like, there's not really a way, like, it's a very complex issue, and I feel like a lot of times Mm -hmm. we, like, especially wink wink nudge nudge our government tries to do like a quick fix you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but in actuality if you want to you know better these communities and stop this you're you're just gonna have to put more time and energy than you know politicians want to do but yeah and these like the people that are trying to help like the kids in the school are trying to like help but obviously they're just kids in a school. It's literally just like a volunteer group where they want to be like nice to just help them. So I don't know. It was sad. It was a sad story. I would definitely recommend watching the documentary. Honestly, the untold story series things or whatever. I watched like four or five of them on Hulu. They were actually really good. The first one I watched was about like online dating. There was one about sex work. There was one about, oh, there was one about child brides. Y'all have got to watch it. That shit was wild. Hmm wild um uh, but anyways yeah they were really good there if you look up just like the untold story so it'll be like so this one was secret life of a gang girl colon the untold story and the first one i think was like the dangers maybe of online dating colon the untold story you know so they all kind of got like the same vibe uh but anyways i would recommend the child bride one though for real that one was wild there was a girl who got married and had a baby at like the age of 10 years old so yeah yeah that doesn't pique your interest yeah yeah i'm gonna have to watch that you go elizabeth vargas putting out them good tv shows (laughs) thank you for that and thank you elizabeth 
Alright, you ready for my story? I am. Alright, brace yourself. It's a surprise. Okay. I'm braced. <laughs> my story is on Henri Desiree Laundry. Or Laundrieu. You ever heard of him? No. It's a boy. Yeah. He's a boy. Okay. He's a boy! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> my sources are Wikipedia, Cryptic on YouTube, Murderpedia, and Serial Killer Documentaries on YouTube. That is the name of the channel. Okay. So, you may be asking yourself, who is who is this? Who is Henri? I'll I tell am. you. Henri Desiree Landru was born in Paris in April, on April 12th, 1869. So this is a bit of an old story. Nice. His father was a furnace stoker and his mother was a laundress who was, they were both uh, devout Catholics. And he grew up very religious and was even an altar boy as a small child. In 1870, Landru met his wife, Marie Catherine, and their first child was born in 1892. I'd like to go ahead and say it was out of wedlock. Also, oh. I have heard, I have, I'm not sure. I think that she might have been one of his distant cousins, but it said oh, it in one I of mean. the sites, but it did not confirm. So, you know, double jeopardy. I wouldn't be surprised. So, soon after this, Landru joined the French military before returning to in 1893 and marrying Mary Catherine. And they would go on to have three more kids. So that's four children. That's a lot of mm-hmm. bibbies. Yes. So throughout the 19- 1890s, Landru floated between jobs, picking up work as a salesman, toy maker, and even an accountant. And Mary Catherine described him as a model husband and the father of, sorry, and father in the early years of their marriage, even though she also described him as a skirt chaser from the very beginning. <clears throat> And this is going to be a theme throughout the story. The fact that he's always pursuing a woman. Mm-hmm. Let's keep that in the back. Okay. And throughout his various jobs, Landru would meet impressionable widows who he could then manipulate into giving him their wealth, which he would invest. He would say that he was going to invest, but instead would swindle the money. Mm-hmm. So they would come, you know, their husband just died, and um, he'd be like, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I can help you, you know, because you don't have a man to, you know, teach you how to live, because back then, you know, <clears throat> women didn't know how to live. <laughs> Apparently. And so he would, <laughs> he would take advantage of them. So from here, Landru pretty much becomes a straight-up con artist, conning everyone from soldiers out of their pensions to widowers out of their fortunes. And by the late eight, now I wrote 1980s, but I think I meant to say 1890s. <laughs> by the I would late say 1890s, Landru had become obsessed with becoming a famous inventor. In 1898, he designed a primitive motorbike, which he called the Landrew, and then deceived several would-be investors into giving him money to build a factory to manufacture it. However, he would end up pocketing the money and vanishing, leaving his family behind and only seeing them occasionally. So he dips. 
And in 1904, Landru was arrested in Paris after running away from a bank he had tried to defraud. He was taken into custody and put into prison where he then appears to, you know, attempt or fake a suicide attempt where he slips his head through a noose made out of bed sheets just as a guard was entering his cell. Landru was examined by Dr. Charles Vallon, one of France's leading criminal psychiatrists, who concluded that Landru was, quote, on the frontiers of madness, but was not quite insane yet, and was ins- responsible for his actions. Vallon's diagnosis oh. was confirmed by two other psychiatrists, yet Vallon was sufficiently concerned by Landru's behavior that he warned his wife, Mary Catherine, to be on guard in the future. Landru was in and out of prison for the next decade, while his wife and four children lived in a series of cheap rented apartments in and around Paris. In 1909, Landru attempted to swindle an affluent widow by posing as a wealthy single businessman and persuading her to hand over her savings as a premarital contract. Mm-mm. And it worked. Um, he pretty much was going about to take this lady for everything. Ooh. And so he was arrested while trying to cash in her investment certificates and was sentenced to three years in prison. In the winter of 1913, Landru duped more than a dozen individuals into giving him a total of 35,000 francs to, quote, invest in a fictitious automobile factory. <laughs> Which, I'm like, dang. <laughs> he Look. must be a hell of a, sm- like, he's a smooth talker. But, you know, also he's, back he's in the day. He's about to get them a pyramid scheme. Like, back in the day, there was no way to really confirm a lot of stuff you can't look him up on the internet and see that mm-hmm. he's got you know 10 warrants outs for his arrest and that he you know got all this stuff like you wouldn't know so i don't know i feel like i still would be really skeptical back in the day but you know even today people can get swindled even though we know that all these scams go on so i can see how he did oh, it yeah. but like the the balls that he had just to go out and do this i don't you know what? I don't have that kind of confidence. Maybe maybe I should be a little more confident myself. Yeah, you definitely need to be more confident. This is he very much gives me PT Barnum vibes. And I think it's cuz uh-huh. it's around the same time period and people were so fascinated by people who were inventors and it's the turn of the century. Uh so I feel like it was partially that and if you were just like uh-huh. a smooth talker who had like, you know, I don't know, a top hat, you could really get away with anything you have a handlebar mustache and you can speak well they, you got them in the back pocket yeah i was also thinking hh holmes but uh you know the vibes he yes. also has like a little handlebar mustache and a top hat so yes and as we get further into it he'll give you a little bit more hh home vibes mm-hmm. um so stick with that now in april of 1914 he skipped town with all this money just before the police could arrest him. And in late July 1914, he was tried and convicted in absentia for the fraud and was sentenced to four years hard labor followed by exile for life on the French Pacific <clears throat> island of New Caldeon. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're like, hey, he's not here, but we know he fucking did it. So whenever we catch his ass, these are the punishments that he'll get. So they just go the ahead. Whole... And, I don't know if are you are you able to do that now? Are you able to sentence somebody in their absence? 
Or is that just an old time thing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure in some countries you can, but I don't think you can do that in America. Uh, but ask right. me next semester. Next semester, I'll take criminal procedure, and then I'll get back to you on that. And I'll also take evidence all next right. semester. So all the stuff that, like, a person would actually care about learning from law school, haven't taken it yet. But if you want to know how to create a will, um, I still don't know how because I'm about to fail this test in a week. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, now, in April 1914, Landrieu takes out a personal ad in the paper that reads, Witterer with two children, age 43, with a comfortable income, serious and moving into society, desires to meet a widow with a view of matrimony. Mm, and the ad okay. is answered by Jean Cushy, a seamstress who had been widowed in 1909. She knew Landrieu as Raymond Dyard, an industrialist from the northern part of France who had promised to marry her and Cochu hoped that Landry would provide a respectable home for her and her only son, Andre, who was 17 and who was illegitimate. Mm-mm-mm. Now, in early 1915, Landry and Cochu escaped to a village just north of Paris to begin their life together. However, the balance of Couchou's relationship with Landrieu changed completely in early August 1915, when France declared war on Germany. After being apart, Couchou went back to their home together, hoping to find the man she knew as Dayard, but the house was empty. What she did find was Landrieu's identity papers inside a chest, along with various fake documents and letters for several other women. Cachou then discovered that he was a criminal on the run who should be deported to Caldeon. So she's doing a little bit of research, and she's like, oh, fuck. This is not the man I thought I was going to marry. Completely different guy. And on top of that, a criminal. Just the, even back then, he was doing so much shady crap that even just a little bit of research got him pegged. Now, Couchet insisted to her sister and brother-in-law that her engagement with Landrieu was over. But when he reappeared in late August of that year, she resumed their relationship. Mm-hmm. However, okay. in the summer of 1915, Couchet and Andre, her son, disappeared without a trace. Cachet's disappearance was actually unknown to her family for several months as Landrieu had forced her to cut ties with her family. He also stole 5,000 francs from Cachet, which is, in today's money, around $122,000, which he insisted came from the pension he received after his father's death, but obviously was from her. Now, by this time, France was involved in World War I, so there was no short supply of lonely widows looking for companionship, making it easy for Landrieu to find his next victim, who was Therese Labordeline. Now, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't think I pronounced that correctly. There's a lot of French words, a lot of French names. French um, words I, are know, so gonna... hard. Um, also... I took French in high school, 
but that was many, many moons ago. So please be kind. Um, so she was a divorced, unemployed widow who was estranged from her family. And she met Landrew either through a Lonely Hearts advertisement he had placed on May 1st of 1915 or through a notice applying for a position as a lady's companion, which she had placed in another newspaper. So she told her friends she was marrying a charming engineer from Brazil, and the two moved in together, and her neighbors would go on to see a man they described as Landrew removing furniture from her home and into his villa, However, she was not seen past July 1915. Uh-huh. Then Marie Guin, a widowed retired housekeeper who had inherited a substantial sum from her last employer, answered Landrew's same Lonely Hearts advertisement from May 1st, 1915. And Landrew had told her that he was the next consul general to Australia and was in need of a wife to host diplomatic receptions. She was last seen at the villa in August of 1915. And I should say, Landrew has a villa, so when I refer to the villa, I'm talking about his home. Uh, fancy. Yeah. Who does he think he is? French, a French villa in the Riviera. He probably drinks wine. Mm. Fuck you. <laughs> My you think grandma better said, than me? Look, my grandma says blackberry wine treats the shits. Does that count? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. I have a... You know, I've drank barefoot wine before, so I think it's about the same. Yeah. Um, now, Berth Hyun met Landrieu in the summer of 1915, who was posing as a businessman. She had a large sum of money that she had earned from multiple bereavements, losing... In turn, her husband, her long-term lover, and multiple children. So, Landrieu pretended he was in search of a wife to join him in the, quote, pretty colony of Tunisia. And she was last seen on December, sorry, in December of 1915. Then, Anna Kalam was an attractive widow who worked as a typist at an insurance company in Paris. She had had a string of lovers since the death of her alcoholic bankrupt husband a decade earlier. And she had most likely answered Landrew's Lonely Hearts advertisement because she wanted a stepfather for her illegitimate young daughter, who she had reportedly placed in the care of nuns in Italy. She was last seen in December of 1916. Then we have Andre Babali who was a nanny and possible sex worker whom Landrieu picked up one evening while riding on the Paris Metro. Um, They spent 10 days together living in a room that Landrieu had rented for them. And she was last seen by a local warden learning to ride a bike near Gambias, which is where his villa was located. So Andre didn't fit uh, Landrieu's typical victim you know profile she was young she wasn't widowed she really couldn't offer him any sort of money like the rest of his victims so it's interesting that he chose her I don't know if he was just looking for like a companion or 
like if he just killed her just to kill her like it's just it does not match his mo mm. and in the documentary that i listened to it talked about how you really couldn't like you can't really categorize him as a serial killer because he's a little bit more complex than that like you know like with serial killers you have to like kill a certain amount of people and you have to go dark for a certain amount of time um mm-hmm. but like with him it's it, it's very interesting i don't know he yeah he sounds like just straight up con man who just like takes away too far yes i would go he do he does he did take it too far i'm gonna be honest (laughs) yeah cold hot take he took it too far (laughs) so landru met and wooed uh celestian uh beyond who answered landru's you guessed it the Lonely Hearts advertisement from May 1st, 1915. Which I'm thinking, dang, he got a lot of traction on that one ad. I know. And was there a picture? Probably not. No, I doubt it. No. N- no, there couldn't have been. Because then I feel like everybody would know him. Right? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. so. Yeah. I think it was just strictly those words, you know. And they all, all these ladies heard were, this widow wants to woo me and pay for my life i'll take it oh yeah i can't i can't deny that um so landru told her that his name was george and the two became quote engaged immediately however he put off their marriage for more than two years claiming that he had lost identity documents and she was last seen in september of 1917 so, you know, he's pretty much got a pattern. He puts this one ad out. He's really getting a lot of traction on this one ad. It's I'm very impressed by it. Um, and <laughs> he picks up these ladies, you know, lies about whatever his life is, you know, tells them he's great, successful, whatever, and convinces them to move in with him at this villa and that they're going to start this life together. And then he inevitably takes their money and kills them. So during this time... You know, it's pretty consistent that he is romanticizing these people and then kills them in their home. And for the most part, people are not aware of this, but his neighbors get get a little suspicious. And I don't think they necessarily know, like, what's going on, but they do become suspicious because he has this chimney at his villa. And every now and then it produces this horrible stench. Mm -mm. And it's a smell that is so bad that neighbors begin to complain. And in one instance, a neighbor of Landru finds what they believe to be rotting flesh in the pond by Landru's home. And the pond actually ends up being searched, but nothing is found. So, you know, people are kind of like logging this information, but they don't really know what to do with it. So, Louis-Jean was a dress shop assistant who answered a Lonely Hearts advertisement that Landru placed in a conservative newspaper after deciding to divorce her estranged husband. Now, Luis was a devout Catholic who initially refused to sleep with Landru. However, he, quote, broke her resistance as he was known to be a ladies' man. You know, obviously, he's a lady killer. Yeah. Um, he was la- she was last seen in November of 1917. Then we have Anne-Marie Pascal, 
who is a dressmaker for a Paris fashion house. And Pascal was divorced and childless and was looking for a so-called vieux monsieur or a sugar daddy. Um, She was last seen in she was last seen in April 1918, which you know what? I can get that out of that. She knew what she wanted and she was going to go for it. Now, this is a little PSA. If you are looking for a sugar daddy, sugar mama, just be safe. Please be safe. You know, it can uh-huh. get real creepy real quick. I don't now, know this my- from experience, but you know, no. they might end up killing you. My question is with that one, it seemed like he was wanting money off these women. But if she was looking for a sugar daddy, that don't seem like she has any money. So what is now he just liking killing people and the money's not as big of an issue, we think? See, that, that's what I think is you think he has like this specific pattern and then he goes off book. But like with her, I feel like he might have just seen her as like a convenience of a kill because she, she's divorced. She doesn't have children. People are probably not going to come looking for her. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, that's weird. It doesn't seem to fit, like, what he was going for. But also, he's a killer. So, like, a lot of times people really try to get into psychology of killers. Like, they do this because of this. But I'm like, yeah, but they're also killers. So, like, really, they could probably do anything because they clearly, Mm -hmm. they're clearly, you know, there's something going on that's not, you know, what should be going on. Now, then we have, uh... The final victim, which is Marie Machadry, who was a sex worker who was last seen in January 1919. And during Langerie's trial, the prosecution claimed that he first met her in October 1918 after she had advertised to sell her furniture. However, circumstantial evidence suggests that he may have encountered her several years earlier. Which, if that's the case, again... Why make her a victim? She doesn't offer any sort of finance. She's not a widow. And you have a past relationship with her. So it's almost like, again, like a convenience thing. He's like, oh, I see this lady all the time. She lives on my street. Whatever. Maybe like at first it was like he wanted the money and the con. But then maybe once he started killing, he was like, you know what? Maybe he got addicted to, like, the actual killing, and then it didn't really matter after that. Like, he just kind of was killing just to kill, and then maybe he would, you know, pick a widow with some money here and there, just because, obviously, he still wants some money. But at that point, maybe it was more he just did want to kill. But I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Not even close. Are you not? No, I'm not. Turns out, I'm not could have fooled me i know i did diagnose my dog with anxiety so (laughs) (laughs) damn she's good now he's on what did we say he was on prozac now by 1919 landrew had killed 10 women and had conned nearly 300 out of their money Landrieu would keep their belongings in his basement and detail his relationship with these women in a diary and this diary chronicled every woman he had killed and scammed. An investigation of Laundry was launched after a relative of one of the victims expressed concerns about her whereabouts. Laundry was taken into custody but refused to talk or identify himself. And during interrogation, he protested his innocence, demanding to why he would have killed the women when they were his, quote, friends. However... 
police found the list of women in Landrieu's basement. And this was used pretty heavily throughout the whole case. As the investigation unfolds, many people came forward to tell their story of how Landrieu had romanced their loved ones, only for them later to go missing or to be tricked out of their money. Police checked Landrieu's home and inside the oven after hearing about the terrible smell from neighbors and found several pieces of bone and teeth. And that's what makes me really think about H.H. Holmes is like his ability to dispose of his Uh victims within his own home. Yeah. Mm. I mean, granted, Mm. H.H. Holmes had it, you know, way more raked up. Oh, yes, yes. So, Landrieu was eventually brought to trial in Versailles in November of 1921 after exhausting his appeals against previous convictions, and Judge Maurice Gilbert proceeded over the highly publicized trial, with Landrieu becoming known as the Bluebeard of Gambier. After the French folklore, which is Bluebeard, about a wealthy man in the habit of murdering his wives. Uh-huh. And Gilbert allowed photographs to be taken during each session, which this was a decision that helped kind of stoke the sensational atmosphere surrounding the long-awaited trial of this Bluebeard killer. And celebrities came to watch the Landrieu trials, including famous mu- musicians and poets. And by the end of the trial, Gilbert had lost all control of the audience, with many of the 500 spectators crammed inside. Mm -hmm. Double the courtroom's capacity, by the way. Oh. And Landrieu's lawyers was defense attorney Vincent DiMauro Gaffiri, who was widely regarded as the most famous trial lawyer in France. Mora was a passionate opponent of the death penalty and argued that no bodies had ever actually been found inside of Lonry's oven, and the bones that had been found could well belong to animals. Okay. Meanwhile, uh-huh. Landry, yeah, I don't know much about forensics, but I'm going to say um, probably not cheap. I don't think they did either at that point, so. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what animal has a human foot. I ain't never met one. Maybe a Bigfoot. <laughs> yep. God, he's killed all these Bigfoots. Damn it. God. The monster. <laughs> Me- Meanwhile, Landrieu claimed at his trial that the list of women found in his basement were simply an aid memoir to remind him of clients from whom he had bought furniture as a secondhand dealer. Because remember, he's a businessman. He's a salesman. He's not a murderer. However, based on witness testimony and forensic evidence, it is clear that other known victims were not recorded by Landrieu on this list. So, they're very well, like, we know that he killed ten people, but he very well most likely killed more than that and Mm -hmm. just hasn't chronicalized it. As Morrow argued, none of the 157 witnesses yeah, 157, on the prosecution list, had any direct evidence of murder. However, Moreau could not explain away the sinister fact that none of the missing women had surfaced following Landrieu's arrest. Because you would think, oh, if these women are just missing, they're not dead, like your lawyer is arguing. That uh-huh. they would, you know, maybe, maybe, hey, he's, he's been captured, you know, we can come out from hiding. But 
That obviously did not happen. So Moro argued that Landru had been a pimp who had dispatched the women abroad into the, quote, white slave trade. To support his argument, Moro claimed that all the women had, in some sense, been estranged from their family, which was partially true for some cases, but for the majority, like, yeah, these women might have been widowed, but they still had families that cared about them. So only, like, maybe, like, one or two had been estranged out of the ten. Yeah. So that really didn't, that wasn't really a valid argument. And on November 30th, 1921, the jury delivered a verdict after a three-hour deliberation, where nine out of the 11 jurors found Landru guilty of all 10 murders, plus the murder of Andre, who was the son of Cachet. Moro worked to persuade the jurors to sign Landru's pre-drafted appeal for clemency, and this would change the sentence to transportation with hard labor, However, Landru refused to sign the document on the grounds that he was entirely innocent, stating, I have never killed anyone, and this is my final protest. Well, so he is sentenced to death and is Uh executed by guillotine just before dawn on February 25th, 1922, and his corpse is buried in a marked grave. However, after five years, his remains were reburied in an unmarked grave in the same cemetery when his family declined to renew the lease on the burial site. And this is another one of those instances where I'm like, they killed him with a guillotine. 1922. This is not, that's not that long ago, I feel like. (laughs) No. So that's weird that you say that, which I don't remember the specifics. I've been listening to Morbid Podcast, which I've never listened to before. But they did, like, an episode a long time ago, I guess, now, on, like, torture devices. And they were talking about how, like, or I think it was public executions. They were like, yeah, the guillotine was, like, a thing for a while. They were like, it lasted, like, a lot longer than you would think. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I guess I never thought about that. But then again, I'm like, I feel like they were still... Like, a public hangings were allowed around a lot, like, longer in America than you would think, too. Like, government-sanctioned hangings. So, it's wild. Yeah, which, you know what? I'm going to be honest. The hangings make a little more sense. Um, the guillotine, I mean, they just... They, I just envision it being, like, a hole to do. You know, just blood. There's a head rolling down the stage. I feel like it's probably very sensationalized. They obviously were going to use it for this case because it was so big. But, like, yeah. like Which, you just, it, it seems like a very barbaric form of execution. Which I think is why it's so crazy that it it existed not that long true. ago. Because I think like, Which, when I think of it, I think of it like, I think of, like, Marie Antoinette. Which apparently, I think in that episode, they were talking about how, I guess when the guillotine first, like, got introduced in France, like, people were like, it's not bloody enough. Like, it's not gory enough. Because I guess they used to, like, still, like, behead people, but clearly they would do it probably with, like, I don't know, a sword. But apparently the guillotine was, like, a lot quicker. It would just, you know, slice it right off, be good to go. Head goes in a basket. Um, Because I feel like when you think about, like, a like a movie like you think of the head toppling down the stairs like or something like that but apparently it just kind of fell off went into a basket now the blood part i couldn't say 
Uh, I feel like it will be a lot of blood, but apparently the French people, y'all can check me on this, go listen to that episode, but at first they were like, man, that ain't bad enough. <laughs> For me, somehow, the hang- hanging seems worse, but they're both horrible, so I mean, we, we all have our oh, own yeah, opinions. They're, they're both terrible. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna be honest, if we live, like, if I lived in a time where hangings and guillotines were still a big thing... I don't think I would ever, I mean, not that I break laws regularly, but, like, I would be shitting my pants to never. No, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. I heard they're they're beheading people. um, I heard they're beheading people for going five miles over the speed limit. God, might as well just go ahead and take my head off every day then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Landru's severed head was actually taken and is now located in the museum of death in hollywood california today so you can go and see his preserved severed head how do you spell that name now i gotta look l-a-n-d-r-u okay you it's online it's there's a picture of it i wish also i don't this is kind of off topic but kind of on topic did you know that Rasputin, his penis is in a jar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in a museum. And it's it's so gross. I Google I Google I Googled it just the other day. I had to see I, it. I did as well. It's very gross looking. Um I think there's still hair on it. We're just gonna throw that yes. off there. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And I, uh, yeah. I do be wondering why did they why did they take it? Um, I don't. But you know, know what? I can under. I, it makes me understand that Rasputin song just a little bit more. Yeah. Also, I don't understand why they have this guy's head on display because it looks disgusting. But as bad as this, it almost looks like a piece of wood. You know, it's not great. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm. I, I'm I imagine disturbed. that severed heads are hard to come by. Oh. And so when you're a museum owner, you probably just sort of take what you can get. I guess so. I'm disturbed. And I don't get disturbed often by this podcast, but at the moment I am. (laughs) (laughs) Not even even based off of the murders, just purely based off of the fact that they have this man's head just just, on display. Yeah, it it ain't the vibe, but I would like to go to that museum, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not typically a person who likes to see all that type of stuff because I don't want to like, you know, I don't know, pay money to go see you murder don't want... stuff. But yeah. I feel like the I don't know anything about that museum, but I feel like there's probably a lot of different type of stuff other than just like, I don't know, murderer's heads. But if you've ever been, mm-hmm. let us know. I couldn't say. Yeah. Let us know. Um, now, the story of Laundrieu has gone to inspire a Charlie Chaplin film. Um, mm-hmm. As well as an episode of the Twilight Zone, and um, which is you know like it, it lists a bunch of other things that it inspired, but I straight up had never heard of this before. I'm not no, even gonna lie to you. I haven't either. Um, and when I started researching it, I found a lot of information on it, which you know if I missed anything, it's just because there was there was too much. The Wikipedia page is long. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting to me. Um, I also partially picked it because he looks kind of scary. Um, and it could just be because all his pictures are black and white. But 
if you've ever seen, I think it's Rob Zombie's house of like a thousand corpses or something. This man kind of looks like the creepy guy from that. Um, mm. So that's kind of why I picked it. I thought he just kind of looked kind of scary looking. But like, especially because in some pictures, his eyes just look so sunken in. It's just, you, you look at that and you're like, ladies, what, what about him was making you think, hmm, yeah, I'd like to move into your villa. I mean, maybe it's, Wait. yeah, because I looked at him, I, I was thinking he was going to be cute or something, but he ain't. Nope. Um, but, you know, if he says I'm real rich and I'm about to be our sugar daddy, I mean, I guess. Come on down. You ain't got to be that cute. Come on down. But, yeah. yes, that is the story of Landru, the Bluebeard killer. Wow. Thank you. I'd never heard of that. It's kind of creepy. He's probably going to haunt me in my dreams tonight. His picture will definitely haunt you. As It'll I sleep. And I, you know, I have to sleep alone tonight because I'm sleeping in our guest bedroom as my man's has a, a tummy bug. Um, so, yeah, thanks. I'm probably going to get murdered Not in the middle a- of the night <laughs> in my guest bedroom. Not a tummy bug. <laughs> a tummy bug. Oh. But, yes, thank you for that. I'd never heard of that. You know, we did a surprise me episode, and we both went true crime this time. What are the odds? Um, you know, I always do true crime. We mm-hmm. know this about me. You normally go paranormal, so really, you surprised me. But I think I might have surprised you because you had never heard a story before. Surprise! True. My my story surprised me because it just kind of came to me. You know, I was literally sitting there. I was like, "This is it. This is the one, kids." It came to her when she was on her couch. It did. But yes, thank you for that. Mm, um, you're welcome. Anytime. So, <laughs> yes. So, next week is Thanksgiving. So, happy Thanksgiving if you want to celebrate it. Uh, Thanksgiving isn't isn't my favorite holiday, but I do go home and Not eat some my turkey. Not either. I will eat food, though, because, well, obviously, you got to eat to stay alive. Uh, but anyways, I'm hoping that somebody will give me some deviled eggs. That's the only reason you come to Thanksgiving is for the deviled eggs. Brandon's making a fried turkey, and he always gets a like a free like a honey baked ham from his work. So I'm really excited about the ham, mostly. Um, but if he still has the tummy bug, then he won't be able to eat any of it, and then I can just go ham on the ham. Hell yeah! All that <laughs> sodium. Her fingers are swell. <laughs> But we're going to put out, we're going to re-release an episode next week. We're going to give ourselves a break. Um, We haven't decided which one we're going to re-release. So it's going to be a, it's a double surprise. This week's a surprise and next week's a surprise. So get ready. Um, And if you've already listened to it before, listen to it again. Or, you know, like you could share it. Like if you're listening to it, like share a little pic on your Instagram and be like, I'm just listening to this most amazingest podcast ever. There's this girl in there. Her name's Taylor. I've heard she's real cute, real smart. There's this other girl named Sydney. I've heard the same stuff about her, but not from as many people. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, just kidding. Sydney probably has more friends than me. I have understated qualities. Uh, yeah, Sydney probably has more friends than me, as I like to mostly keep to myself. Maybe like that sometimes. But, anyways, um, yes. But, yes. Yeah, and when you're also doing that, you could also be like, oh my gosh, this episode is so good. 
that's why I've listened to it twice now. Um, once when they first released it, once when they released it, and that's why I'm going to give them five stars on Apple Podcasts. And then mm-hmm. what I'm going to do is I'm going to screenshot that. Send I'm going to slide in their Instagram DMs, and I'm going to send them a koozie. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to yep. send me a koozie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yes. hey, but if you but if you want to send us a koozie, go for it. Yeah, if you have, like, a really cool koozie that you just are dying to send to us, slide into our DMs, and you can send it. Because Brandon, you know, he's sick right now, um, and he really loves koozies. He has a koozie collection. Um, but also, you can send one to Sydney and to me, because we would like that. But, yeah. So, is there anything else? Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of the above. TikTok. Um, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. Tell five. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to church and they force you to bring a friend, do that. Force your friend to listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please, God. Um, when you're, you know, sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, you know, we could talk about politics, but let's talk about murder and paranormal. Mm -hmm. And you start playing this podcast. Exactly. That's why I empower all of you to do this week. Yep, I do too. That's my, uh... What is that? Now I'm trying to think of church terms. I watched this documentary yesterday, so it's got me just... It was wild. It was called uh, Pray Away, if you want to watch it. I've been watching a lot of documentaries, obviously. Obviously. Uh, anyways. But, uh, you know. Anyways, um, that's about it. If you don't mm-hmm. want to listen to a, a documentary, just listen to this podcast. Yep. And uh, we will see you next week for a re-release of one of our amazing episodes. Yep. All right. Goodbye. Stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye. I thought I was going to get to say it there for a second. Damn you.